Okay, I can introduce myself. Great, that means I can get to say lots of really nice things about myself. No, you'd say horrible things, Len. You can't do it. You can take your Bible, though. Big thing getting in the way. Thanks. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Matt. I'm uh, married to Joe, and we've got four daughters who you may have noticed they're not here today, which is why everything's so quiet. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, don't worry, I know it's Christmas. I'll send them an email later or something. It's fine. <laughs> Merry Christmas, kids. No, it's fine. It's fine. I'm, 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 after this service, I'm going to rush to the airport and board a plane and uh, head to uh, the northwest of England where we'll spend Christmas with my family and uh, eat lots of food. So here we go. I'll stop talking about Christmas because who wants to talk about that? Let's move on. I'm going to read one, just one verse, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to talk a little bit about this verse together. So here we go. This is 1 John 4, verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son, Jesus, to be the propitiation for our sins. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that we can, at this time of year, we can talk about Christmas and we can enjoy friends and family and gifts and food. Um, but most of all, we want to remember and celebrate, Jesus, who you are and what you've done for us as we've been singing about this wonder of this God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who's yet stepped down into our humanity as a baby in a, in a manger, the most humble of births, the most humblest of settings, and yet the king of all creation has stepped down into our humanity for us to be our savior. And we wanna know the truth of that. And we, we wanna let that penetrate right into our hearts, into the depths of our souls. Because we know that this great truth is the most important thing in the whole of the universe. And if we get hold of it, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, not just some words in a book, but if we get to know you, Jesus, and follow you with all of our hearts, it changes our lives. And there's nothing better to live for. So we pray as we look at these words this morning that you would speak to us, you guide us, and you'd lead us, we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to talk about love today. We've been working through a, an Advent series where we talked about uh, first of all, hope, and then joy, and then last week, our big Christmas carol service, we talked about peace, and this week we're going to talk about love, uh, which is what this verse is about, and it would be easy at Christmas time to kind of sentimentalize love, and to talk about it in kind of warm, gushy words, films like love, actually, that kind of picture of what love is, this 
kind of emotion, a, a, a feeling. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that thing on, on Facebook where they kind of make up anniversaries. So there was a thing this week where some friends of mine were celebrating 11 years of being friends. Like, what a pointless anniversary. But anyway, they seemed excited about it. And they had one of those little videos that Facebook does. And it said on this video, I was flicking through lots of pictures of them, you know, being with each other. And it said, love is like a million, a billion, a gazillion likes all at once. I thought, what a terrible definition of love. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> like, what a stupid thing. But that's what, and, but for many people, that's kind of, that is kind of a summary of what love is. Love is to be affirmed, to receive self-affirmation, to feel good about yourself. Because that's what happens when someone likes your picture on social media. You feel good about yourself. And the more likes you get, you kind of, it kind of tops up how good you, you can feel. And you think a gazillion likes, well, I'd feel amazing. And for a lot of people, that's what love is, to receive affirmation, to feel good about yourself. But real love, real love is not really like that at all. Or if it is, that's a small part of it, one aspect of what it is to know real love. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is this real love of divine love, of God's love. And I guess in, in a world like we live in, it's not easy to believe in a God of love. Let's not kid ourselves and pretend that. It's not easy to believe that God is a God of love when you just look around or you switch on the news and the stories are disaster, 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 raining. You know, that's kind of what the news is a lot of the time. And you think, okay, how can we believe that there's any sort of God of love out there? And that's what a lot of people would think. And maybe that's what you think. I was watching a video this week and a, a young woman who used to go to church, she used to uh, call herself a Christian. She lives here in the city and she was explaining why she'd left the church and why she'd stopped going. And it was a sad story to watch. Uh, and part of her reason really was that she didn't feel that the church was a place of love and affirmation and warmth. For her, the church was, was a place of judgment place of condemnation, a place where she was all the time feeling like she had to please God, or she had to keep the, the leaders happy, or to, she had to fit in and conform and do the right things. She felt she had to live her life under this kind of constraint of rules all the time, desperately trying to please God, to somehow make him happy with, with her, to kind of keep God on her side. And it left her played with feelings of guilt and insecurity and self-doubt. And maybe that's how you feel. Maybe that's your experience of Christianity is it's just people telling you how you should be, what you should do. It's just this attempt all the time to keep God on your side. And all of us can, can slip into that pattern of living, trying to earn, trying to win, trying to somehow uh, make up for our failings. But yet, the evidence I want to present to you is that, is that this is love. 
Not that we've loved God. Not that we've kept God happy. Not that we've somehow kept God on our side. But that he's loved us. That's what real love is. That's, not, that's what divine love is. Not that we've somehow worked to please God. But that he loves us. But really that what I want to do is something which might seem a little bit unusual, but to really help us to redefine what love is, to really explain that, we have to redefine and explain another word, and that's wrath, the wrath of God, or the anger of God, <laughs> which you might think, that's a great thing to talk about at Christmas time, right? So let me explain that a little bit. Because here you'll see this word up there, propitiation, which um, I don't know if you've ever seen the, uh, one of my favorite TV shows is The Walking Dead. Have you seen that? It's about zombies. It's brilliant. If you like zombie things, it's just excellent. And uh, in, in The Walking Dead, there's this character called Negan. And uh, Negan carries around a baseball bat called Lucille. Um, if you ever meet anybody that names their weapons, then run away, all right? If you go into their kitchen and they're chopping up the cucumber, they say, this is, my, this is my knife called Jennifer, then you just run, just get out of there. If they name their knives, they're probably not a good person. And, and he's, this guy Negan, is he rules this kind of community of people who've all kind of banded together and they're all kind of surviving against the zombies. And there are other groups of people, other little communities uh, that are afraid of Negan. And all the time they're having to do things to keep him happy. They have to provide food that they've grown for him. They have to do certain services for him. And if they don't, then the wrath of Negan will appear and Lucille will go into action and it doesn't, it's not very pretty. But all, they're, they're, everybody is terrified of this man. They're terrified of his anger or what will happen if they don't do their tasks, if they don't keep up kind of their side of, of the bargain. Um, and in a way, that's kind of what this word propitiation can, can mean. It's the placating of the wrath of God. And many translations in the Bible, they ignore this word. They take it out. Um, many of the English translations, many of the Dutch translations don't have this word in here. They'll use the word uh, expiation, which means God's dealing with our sin. Or they'll talk about reconciliation, how God's brought us back together with him or they'll talk about uh, like atoning sacrifice might be the phrase that they use. But this word is actually quite an important word. We shouldn't remove it because if we take it out, it actually dilutes some of the holiness of God, some of the, the justice of, of God. It takes something away of the full extent and power of our salvation. Even, I think it takes away some of the full extent of how God really loves us, which is why I want us to, to really look at it this morning. Because this idea of the kind of appeasing of anger, of them trying to keep Negan happy, it, it, that can sound horrible. You, none of you want to think of God like that. None of you want to think, well, we've just got to do these things to keep God happy. Um, and you might ask that question, you know, it, is, is God angry? Is, is God like that? That was one of the issues this girl in this video had, that she couldn't understand that there could be a God that would be so angry that 
he'd have to send his son to die. She just couldn't get her head around that. She didn't want to believe that. She'd rather believe that there was no God at all. But I guess part of that depends on how we understand God's wrath or his anger. Because obviously there's, there's bad anger when you just flip out and go into destruction mode. All of us know that when we just get angry, whatever flicks your switch and you just, something inside you, this passion that you just, you can't control it. It just bursts out and you get angry, you shout at people, you get cross at people. The thing is, God's anger isn't like that at all. It's controlled. It's, it's a controlled opposition. It's, it's not an out of control, wild thing. But God is, does have anger, but it's a controlled anger. And what it's against is evil. Evil. And I think we can agree that it's not a bad thing to be angry about evil. Because the things we get angry about are often when, when we've been offended or where someone's put us down or we felt an accusation against us, which isn't true. We get angry about really quite puny things if we think about it. But the things that God gets angry about are important things, things where justice needs to take place. But you might think, why does God need to be angry at all? Even if these things are bad, surely he's a God of forgiveness. He, he can just kind of let us off the hook. You know, if God was really loving, he could just say, oh, that's not a problem, I'll just let that one go. I'll just, just forget about that one. We'll just brush that one under the carpet. Why does God need to be angry at all? I don't know if you've, you've seen uh, over the last few months, one of the major stories in the, the news has been about this kind of Me Too phenomena of many women all around the globe uh, uh, telling stories of, of abuse, where they've been abused physically or sexually, and, and people just putting their hands up and saying, oh, that was me too, oh, and that was me as well. And you see all these stories come out, and part of what's driving it is a, a desire for, for justice, that people are calling out things that are evil, things that are wrong, things that are bad, and saying, somebody needs to do something. There needs to be justice. And all of us would agree, we wouldn't say, well, let's just brush those things under the carpet, because that's been part of the problem. It's that people for years have just been ignoring these things or just pretending that they're not there or just taking people's accusations and just locking them away. We don't want to hear about that. We, we, we like that person too much. We don't want to hear that story. But when we see these stories in the news, we think, no, we want there to be justice. Maybe some of you have experienced of those sort of things in your own lives or people you know, and you think, I want justice. And there should be justice. That's not a bad thing to think. We, there should be justice. Something should be done. People should be held to account. And if we feel like that, imagine how God feels when he looks at his creation, the people he's made, and he just sees so much evil happening, so many things that are wrong. You don't want to believe in a God that just brushes that under the carpet. What sort of God is that? That just says, oh, it's not a big deal. We'll just forget about that one. Let me just shower you with love, but we'll just ignore that. You don't want to believe in a God like that. We want to believe in a God of justice, a God that's going to do something, 
a God that's going to act. Let me read a couple of verses to you. This is from Genesis 6. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he'd made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. See, God's a, a personal God. It's not just a distant being, being up in the sky. He's a personal God. When he sees evil, it, it grieves him. The same way that we would feel grief. Grief is such a powerful, frightening emotion, just a deep sense of hurt and pain. And God looks at the earth and the evil in it, and there's, it's not just he says, oh, oh, never mind, we'll just forget about that. That grieves his heart. It says this in uh, Psalm 5, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness, evil may not dwell with you. See, because God, he's a God of holiness. The Bible sometimes uses the phrase that God is light, and light and darkness don't go together. God's a God of holiness and love, and evil and sin can't exist around God. Someone needs to pay. Justice needs to be done. That's what God looks at the earth and the mess that we've made of it and thinks something needs to be done. And we feel that as well. Something needs to be done. The thing is, is he's not like this Negan character saying, well, you didn't fulfill your side of the bargain. Something needs to be done, so you're going to pay. God's wrath is so different from that because the one who, who pays the price is God himself. He's God himself. God's anger, his hatred of sin and evil is not taken out on us. It's not that we have to somehow uh, uh, fulfill some side of the bargain, but his anger and uh, uh, hatred of sin, God takes upon himself. There was a, a play that was performed in Germany after the Second World War called The Sign of Jonah, I think was what it was called. And it basically tells the story of, uh, of a few different individuals who would have lived in the Nazi Germany during the Second World War. And the play is exploring, as the play goes on, it explores how much they knew about the Holocaust. And there's, I think there's three main characters, all who work here. One was a housewife, one worked in the steel business, I forget what the other one did. And they all deny having, initially they deny having any knowledge of it at all. They say, I don't know about that. That's, yeah, that, that, that couldn't have happened. And as the play goes on, they begin to admit that they, they did know about it, that they were aware of what was happening. Uh, and even as the play goes on, they be began to admit that perhaps even they'd been involved, or at least they'd allowed certain things to happen. 
and they begin to blame one another and they're blaming other people. And the play is building to this crescendo where all the time they're looking for somebody to blame. Like justice needs to be done. This was evil. Who is going to pay? And in the end, because none of them want to take the blame, what they do is they blame God. They say, well, God's to blame. If, if this, this happened, somebody allowed this to happen, there must have been God, God's to blame. And they put God on trial. And the punishment they decide, they, they say to God, your punishment is you're going to live like a Jew. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna have to live through that experience. You're going to have to live through the Holocaust. You're going to have to die for what happened. That's your punishment. But the thing is, that, that is what happened. Let, let that just sort of sink into your heart for a moment. That God looks at the, the evil and the injustice in the world and yet he steps in to receive the punishment. He steps in as, as our substitute. And you might think, well, you know, that's, that's all will and good. There's evil in the world. But it wasn't that God just died for all this evil in the world, but for you as well, for what you've done. And you might think, I'm not evil. I've seen evil and that's not me. But yet, often the problem is, it's not the really horrid bad things, but it's the good things that we make ultimate things. The things that we end up putting in the place of God. The things that we end up idolizing. The things that consume all our emotions and our energy and our time and end up really doing us harm. The things that we put in the place of God and we're living to, to fulfill our dreams and to get our career and to live a certain way. And in the end, those things are just as sinful and just as evil as some of the most evil things you can think. Because in the end, we've put things in the place of God. We're trying to use other things to meet our needs to fulfill us and they don't work. And what happens is this baby in a manger who we celebrate at Christmas time becomes the, the one who, who becomes a curse for us, who bears the punishment that we deserve, who takes it upon himself. And you might think, hold on a second, what is, did, did Jesus, did he kind of change God's mind? Is there like an angry God in heaven and there's a loving Jesus. Is that, is that how it works? The thing is, the other thing you need to know about this story is that all of this was, was God's initiative right from the start. This comes from a place of a God of grace. See, it's God's love is the source, not the consequence of this story. It's not, that, um, it's not that God loves us because Jesus died for us. It's the, the other way around. It's that Jesus died for us because God loves us from right from the beginning of time. That God chose you, that he picked you out 
that he called you even before the world had begun. God picked you out and he loved you and he knew you. And he knew he needed to bring back a way that you could be in relationship with him. And Jesus died to make that happen, that you could know God and you could know the richness and the fullness and the power of his love. See where our world might define love as a feeling or an emotion or even to define love as commitment. You know, none of those things are bad things. But this divine love is so much more than that. It's not that God is just um, compassionate towards you, although he is. It's not, that he, he, it's not that God just says that he loves you, but God's shown it. He's shown his love in, in a real tangible way that we can look back and say, no, I know God loves me because he, he died for me. That completely redefines what love is, is that he stepped down into our existence and he gave himself for us. And that means that this whole Christmas story, the Easter story, it means that love is redefined as the giving of God for us. It's not about love no more. It's not about what we receive, but what we can give instead. See, this baby in a manger, the Bible describes him as the exact imprint of God. This is God in the manger. And he arrives with the same love for us that God has for Jesus. This eternal love within the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the love that this baby brings to us. God loves us in the same way that the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit loves the Father. And the son loves the father. God loves us with that same love. And then he calls us and he sends us to go and love others in the same way. To give ourselves for other people. There's something wonderful about what we do at Christmas where you hand out gifts for people. It's a quite a lovely display of what it is to love people really not just to say that you love them, it's not just to think nice thoughts about them or say nice things, it's just to give them things, to give them of yourself. You know, if you're, if you're not just in marriage, but in any relationship, if you really want that relationship to work, then you have to think, how can I love you unselfishly? Not thinking about what am I gonna get out of this? How are you gonna meet my needs? But how can I serve you? How can I give myself for you? How, how, how can I bless you today? And we have this, this wonderful Christmas story that reminds us that in our kind of failed love, how we, none of us are perfect, none of us are able to love perfectly but we get to receive this perfect love from God. Which as we were talking about last week, there's nowhere else you can find real 
peace or real hope or real joy or really no love until you've known the love of God. And any other love will just be a pale imitation. And you'll think, if I just have this relationship, if this can just work out, then I'll be fulfilled, then I'll be happy. You won't. You won't. But when you meet the love of God, you think, okay, now I know what true love is. Now I know what real love is. Because I don't have to do anything but just receive his love. It's not about how do I keep God happy? How do I somehow make him, uh, 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 how do I somehow placate his wrath? How do I stop uh, this anger? That's all been paid, that's all been done. We just get to receive his love now. Doesn't mean we shouldn't try and live a good life, but we're not trying to earn anything anymore. We're not trying to win any sort of favor. Okay, I could keep talking, I'm gonna stop. Um, if you're comfortable, why don't you just stand to your feet? You don't have to, if you'd rather just stay seated, that's fine. Let me just pray. We thank you, Jesus, for this wonderful love for us. God, that when we look at this beautiful Christmas story of this child in a manger, we know that although it looks like a story of weakness, it's a story of wonderful power, of how you came to set us free, of how you came to show us this real perfect love that changes everything. And we thank you now, Jesus, that for all the, the evil in the world, all the evil in our own hearts, all the things we've done which we know are wrong. We know we've not even lived up to our own standards, let alone your standards. We know, Jesus, that a solution has been worked out we can look at all this evil and we can think, when is someone gonna do something? And we know now that you have done something, that you died, that justice has been done to set us free, that we don't have to walk into the courtroom and receive the judgment now. We don't have to stand before the judge and, uh, and get our sentence. We know, Jesus, that you've been there already that you went in as our substitute, that you were sacrificed for us so that we can know the forgiveness of sins. We can know the freedom, the peace, the hope, and the joy of what it is to follow you. And I pray that, I pray you just remind that to our hearts where we so easily fall back into the pattern of, of trying to somehow do the right things to somehow earn some sort of love for you or we can feel guilty and condemned and think well God, God can't love me this morning thank you that Jesus you do you do you've forgiven us and we want to follow you with all of our life 
We want to live lives of worship and adoration because it's just the best way to live. There's just nothing better. Jesus, I pray for anybody here this morning that wouldn't call themselves a Christian or maybe they're not sure. I pray, God, that uh, by your grace that you would just open up their hearts to hear what you have to say to them today. I pray that any objections and questions they have, I don't want those just to be erased and deleted, but I pray that first of all, they would know that there's a God in heaven who loves them and that can change everything. I pray you'd open their hearts to receive that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.